If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of James chapter 1, or if you have your Bible on your device, that is perfectly fine as long as you've got the Bible in some way. Uh, go ahead and turn there. James chapter 1 is where we're going to be. You see here on the screen, we started a series just last Sunday out of the book of James, the New Testament book of James, and the name of the series is Wholehearted. And so what we're looking at is, is what Scripture tells us through this book. This is a short book. It's only 108 verses, but it really helps us to understand what it looks like when every single detail of every life or every area of every life is lived in a wholehearted devotion to the person of Jesus. And so what we find here is that James covers a lot of tough topics that are going to help us. Some of those are going to be a little difficult for us to apply, but when we apply it, we're always better off. So James chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Hey, I want to ask you a question this morning before we really dig in and before we get started. Uh, how many decisions do you think you've made already today, this morning? I mean, how many decisions already do you think you've already accomplished? Maybe decisions like, hey, do we have breakfast before this service or do we eat after the service is over? Uh, do we go to church today in our pajamas or do we actually get dressed the way we're going to be the rest of the day? You know, a lot of those kinds of decisions, chances are you haven't made a ton of decisions or you may have made more than you think you have. I was doing some research this past week and uh, I was looking at uh, how many decisions a person makes in the average day. How many decisions does the average person make in the average day? Man, I was blown away. And uh, the number is around 35,000 decisions, 35,000 decisions. In fact, here's how it's worded. I love this. This is what I came across when I was uh, researching this. It says that the uh, estimated average adult makes 35,000 remotely conscious decisions, remotely conscious. I have no idea what remotely consciously uh, uh, deciding on something looks like. Maybe it's those times whenever we made a decision and we were wondering after the fact, like, was I even awake when I made that decision? Maybe, maybe that's what it counts. I don't know. But 35,000. Here, here's what a study at Cornell University uncovered. This is, this is fascinating to me. Of those 35,000 every day, 226 estimated, right? Who counts these up? But somebody at Cornell did, I guess. 226 of those decisions every day involve food. Now, if that's the case and if that's accurate, and who can argue with Cornell University research, right? I mean, we're thinking about food an awful lot. I mean, 226 of these decisions every day, you're thinking, and it has something to do with food. Now, when you think about all the decisions you make, whether it's food-related, whether it's marriage-related, whether it's relational or financial, whatever, the decisions that are small, right, when you think, you know, which socks am I going to wear this morning, as well as the big decisions, some of those decisions are going to be made really driven by impulse. I mean, let's be honest, a lot of our decisions we make with no other criteria except just impulse. Let's look at this, for example. You're driving down the street. Let's say you're driving down Skidaway if you're here in Savannah or Abercorn uh, or some other road in your city where you may be this morning. And uh, you're minding your own business, you're running an errand, you've got that on your mind, you're single focused, and then out of impulse, you respond to this sign, all right? It's the hot, glazed, crispy cream light, right? They are ready. They are ready now. And out of impulse, you make the decision, you know what, I'm turning in here, you know, you turn in to the Krispy Kreme parking lot. And for me, that ends up resulting in about 12 more decisions because I got to decide, do I want uh, chocolate ice? Do I want chocolate ice glazed I, or, or with sprinkles? Do I want, you know, uh, cream filled? Do I want custard filled? All these decisions, okay? And so it's driven 
by impulse. We, we, can, we can take that picture down now for a second. I don't want to cause you to stumble. And so let's just say that uh, as, as we're continuing to look at our decisions, sometimes they're not driven by impulse. Sometimes our decisions are driven by comfort, right? We make a decision based on what's going to make me most comfortable. For example, you're driving down the road and you're running an errand and you see a sign like this, right? And out of comfort, you say, I'm going to go in and you make 12 more decisions and you buy yourself some more, more Krispy Kreme donuts, right? Well, here, here's the thing. For us, we have a lot of factors that play into our decision-making process. Sometimes we make decisions based on, on uh, comfort. Sometimes it's out of impulse. Sometimes we make decisions driven by fear. You know, if you call me up, sometime after all this stuff is done and say, hey, Brooks, let's go on an airplane ride together and we're going to jump out of that airplane and I'm going to give you a parachute and we're going to skydive. I'm going to say, no, all right, that's going to be my decision. And I'll be honest, it's going to be driven by fear. I'm not going to go with you and I'm not going to jump out of a perfectly good plane with a parachute in my back and fear is going to make that decision for me. And so sometimes we make decisions based on fear. There are a lot of other criteria that play into the decisions that we make, 35,000 of them every day. But let me ask you this question, and be honest with yourself. How many of your decisions that you make are truly, honestly, primarily driven by wisdom? And how many of the choices that you make on a daily basis could you honestly say that wisdom is what dictated this specific, this particular choice? And even, even a harder question, if you look back for a moment, let's just get uncomfortable because James rattles the cage for a lot of us. Let's just get uncomfortable for a moment and ask the question, when you think back to some of the biggest regrets that you have in your life that are directly tied to a decision that you made, not something that somebody else did, not some decision somebody else made, but it was a decision that you made and you look back now and you regret it, how many of those decisions would you have done differently if you had just simply applied this thing called wisdom. I want to ask you another question. Imagine for a moment that you are traveling through a, uh, through a brand new city. It's a strange city. It's a city where you've never been before. Uh, and for whatever reason, work-related or maybe it's vacation, you find yourself in the middle of that city. And I want to ask you a question. You have no, no idea where to go. You want to see some sites. You don't know how to get to the main sites. You, you have to get from point A to point B. You don't know how you're going to get there. Let me ask you this question. Think about this for a second. Would you rather have in that situation in a brand new city where you don't know where to go, would you rather have a map, all right, like this? This is a map of the city of Havana, actually, in Cuba. And uh, I've had the opportunity to go there, I, I think, five times or so now, with, uh, mostly with mission teams from our church. And... Um, and every time we go, we stand in the middle of old Havana on our uh, R&R day, and we're trying to figure out where to go. And one, somebody has a map, and we're trying to decipher the map and turn it all different directions, right? You've been there, done that on trips. So would you rather have a map to help navigate you through that strange new city, or would you rather have a personal guide? You know, for me, I would rather have the guide every single time because when it comes to the map, I can still get confused and I can still get turned around. But if I have a guide with me who's been there and he knows the sites and he knows where we're headed and he knows what to avoid and he says, hey, let's not go down this road because there's some dangers there. Let's take this route. And he knows how to get past the, you know, the, the obstacles and the difficulties and he knows the shortcuts. 
I would rather choose the God every single time. Now, here's the thing. When we look at life and when you think about all the, the, the decisions that you have to make, and we can go ahead and take this picture down. When you have to make all those decisions that come in your life, here's the cool thing. God has given you a map, right? It's called the Bible. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he has given you, he's given you this book anyway. But if you're a follower of Christ, you have an, a, especially a, a, a motivation to dig into this book because in it, you know God gives you instructions for life. God shows you which way to go and, and how to live, and he teaches you about himself, and he teaches you about yourself, and he, and he gives you truth in here. I mean, th this book is indispensable for us as Christians. But what this book doesn't do is it doesn't answer all of the or questions that you have. It doesn't chart out every single decision right down to a T. It's not going to tell you whether to leave the job you're in to take a different job in another city. It's not going to give you word for word whether you're to put your kids in this school or that school or to continue homeschooling. You may have already made that decision after six weeks of being a homeschool teacher, right? But it's not going to tell you, thou shalt homeschool, thou shalt send your children to this school. It's not going to tell you that. It's not going to tell you how to handle that toxic relationship specifically in which you may find yourself at work or with a friendship. It's not going to give you exact uh, down to the, to, to the exact wording and name the names of people, right, of, of how to navigate those difficult waters. It's going to give you truth, and it's going to give you principles. But God has given this as a map. Here, here's the cool thing. But he's also given us a guide. And if you're a follower of Jesus in a relationship with Christ, that guide is God himself. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. That's why he says that you'll never, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's a guide who lives in you. And he will get specific. And he will tell you, you need to leave this job and go to that job, or you need to put your kids here, or you need to handle that relationship that way. And he will get very specific. But I believe there is another guide that God has given us as well. And we read about it here in the book of James chapter 1. And that guide specifically is wisdom. Wisdom that God gives to us, working in partnership with his word, working in partnership with the Holy Spirit, that ultimately serves as a guide in our lives. So here's the first principle I hope you'll jot down. We're going to look at a couple of them today, and the principle is this, that wisdom is yours for the asking. God offers you wisdom if you just ask for it. Man, it doesn't get any easier than that. He offers this wisdom ultimately as a guide for you if you just ask. So let's pause here for a moment and let's look at the definition of what wisdom is in the first place. This definition comes right off, offline, dictionary.com, pretty simple definition. Uh, it says, wisdom is knowledge of what is true or right, but it doesn't end there. It's more than just knowledge coupled with, right, partnered with, joined together with just judgment as to action. Here's what this means. Wisdom is not just a bunch of head knowledge, right? You've known people who probably scored perfectly on their ACT or SAT, and they knew all the answers to all the questions, but they didn't have any common sense, and they didn't have any wisdom whatsoever, right? You've known, you've met those people. Maybe you've worked with them or worked for them, right? Or maybe you've been in the same family with them and you see them every Thanksgiving. You've met those people. Wisdom is different than knowledge. It's, it's not the same. Wisdom is knowledge ramped up. Wisdom is taking knowledge that we have and knowing how to apply it in our certain 
circumstances. And, and the thing is, for every one of us, we've all made boneheaded decisions, haven't we? Right? Where we look back later, it may be a week later, a month, or a year, or years later. And, and we've, we've, we've thought about some of these decisions and we've said to ourselves, what, what was I thinking? Right? We had all the knowledge that we needed. You know, you're looking at that car on the car lot or you saw it online and you decided, man, I think I like it. Yeah, it's got 400,000 miles and it's $20,000, but man, I love the color. <laughs> this is my dream car. And, uh, you know, I think I'm going to get it. You had all the knowledge you needed, but then you made that choice anyway and you ended up regretting it. Right? Or, or your friends told you, don't date that guy or don't date that girl. And, and, and you, you talked yourself into it. You had all the knowledge you needed and all the counsel, but you did it anyway, right? It wasn't a knowledge issue. And you look back later and you thought, man, what was I thinking? I mean, why, why on earth did I do that? Or, or maybe for you, you kind of you went to that place or you, or you uh, made that decision and you had all the knowledge you needed. But after the fact, you asked yourself, you made the comment to yourself, what on earth was I thinking? And in and, and that simple statement, what you were saying was, why didn't I use wisdom? You didn't say, I wish I had more info. You had the info. What you needed at the moment was to take that knowledge and decouple it in action with just judgment. That is exactly what wisdom is. Well, the cool thing is, as we looked at, is that God offers wisdom to us if we just ask him for it. In the book of James last Sunday, we looked at the first four verses. And uh, if you weren't with us, you can catch this message on, uh, on our Facebook Live page. You can look at the archive there or YouTube or however you're watching. You can access it fairly easily, or you can go to our website as well. Um, but we started this series last Sunday. You can read the first four verses on your own, but the context here is that James is writing about trials and difficulties. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He wrote this book. It's very easy to follow. It's very simple to read, but it gets in your face. It gets in my face, and it brings up some hard, hard stuff that we have to do business with at times in our lives. And what James does, here's what's interesting. If you read through James, you see that there were two huge influences on these 108 verses that he's going to write in these five chapters. One influence was the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, heavily influenced James in what he wrote in his book. But then also the book of Proverbs, the first nine chapters specifically, also heavily influenced James in what he wrote. We're going to get a dose of that Proverbs today when we dig through just a few more verses in chapter 1. And so let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump in together. You've got your Bible there in front of you, uh, James chapter 1. Let's jump in in verse 5 and begin to unpack in the context of trials, but it's really applicable in any circumstance. Let's unpack what James says about wisdom. He says in verse 5, chapter 1, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Like I said before, wisdom is yours for the asking. I mean, this verse could not be more clear, and that's what I love about James. You don't have to really read between the lines. You don't have to know the original Greek language to know what he's getting at. He says, if you lack wisdom, then just ask of God, and he's going to give it to you, right? It, 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 all, we gotta have, all we have to do is ask God for it, and he even qualifies it. He's going to give generously. Boy, that's a really good deal. 
and he's going to give it without reproach. In other words, God's not get, going to get in your face and say, you should have come to me a month ago. You should have come to me six months ago. You, know, you, you, you should have uh, you know, not gone everywhere else looking to, to solve this issue. You should have come to me first. God's not going to rebuke you that way. If you ask him for wisdom, he's going to give it generously, and he's going to give it ultimately without reproach. There is, I mean, there, you're rarely going to find a deal as good as that. And James makes it very, very clear here that wisdom is something that is at our disposal, especially as followers of Jesus. Well, how important is it? Well, you don't have to turn there right now, but just take a look on the screen here. Proverbs chapter 3. Let's see how important it is. He says, how blessed is the man who finds wisdom. We don't have to go digging for it, right? We already know. We just have to ask. How blessed is the man or how happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding? Next chapter in Proverbs chapter 4, look at this beautiful description of wisdom. I mean, the book of Proverbs is a book of poetry. I mean, th these words just come off the page, right, with imagery. It says, acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her, love wisdom, and she'll watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. I mean, it's that important. That's where it starts. You acquire it, and with all of your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her. She'll exalt you. She'll honor you if you embrace her. She'll place on your head a garland of grace. She'll present you with a crown of beauty. Man, wisdom is a, is a gigantic commodity in the economy of God. I mean, he wants us to have wisdom. It's a guide, right? He gives us a map. He gives us his word. He fills us with his spirit. He, 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 he guides us in our, in our everyday. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge or know him, and he'll direct your paths. He, he's going to be our guide. But largely the way he does that is through the wisdom that he gives us. It's not signs written in the heavens, right? It's not miraculous workings that come up, you know, where our Cheerios spell out what we're supposed to do, you know, every morning. He gives us wisdom. It's rooted in his word that's communicated through his spirit. And he says, all you have to do is ask, ask me for it. So there's God's part. He gives it, gives it generously without rebuke, without reproach. And then there's our part. We have to humble ourselves and ask him for it. Let's move on to verse 6. Because we have to understand something here. We, we, there is a crucial part for us to play still that we need to understand. Verse 6. It says, but he must ask. Here's how we ask. He must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Imagine in your mind this little life raft, you know, six feet in length, room for two people, out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Imagine it's in the North Atlantic, and imagine that the, the seas have never been more difficult. I mean, that little life raft is going to go sometimes east and sometimes west and sometimes north and sometimes south, sometimes up and sometimes down. There is no stability and there's no progress and there's no purpose. James paints a very vivid picture that that's the way we are if we ask, not in faith, but in doubting. I've been confused by this portion of this passage from time to time. And uh, in my study, it made a little bit more sense, largely because of my own shortcomings. 
Sometimes I have a tendency, if I, if I need some information, I'll go and ask a person. Uh, let, let, let's use, for example, let's just say I'm needing to know what time Home Depot closes, okay? And so I'll, I'll ask, hey, do you know what time Home Depot closes? Yeah, they close at 10 o'clock tonight. Okay, thanks. And then I'll leave that person and in a few minutes, I may see somebody else and it crosses my mind again. And rather than trusting in what they've already told me and trusting in them, I'll then ask this other person 10 minutes later that I've crossed paths with, hey, do you happen to know what time Home Depot closes? Oh yeah, they close at 10. You know? And then sometimes that's still not enough. I'm still going to check. I might even call the store just to be sure. I don't know. Maybe you're that way. Maybe I'm not. But here's the thing. If that's my attitude and I don't trust the person I ask, and I don't trust the information they give me, I'm not going to have any assurance or certainty whatsoever. I'm like that raft bobbing up and down, right? I don't have any sense of security that I know what's true regarding what time Home Depot closes. And here's the thing for us. When we look at this verse, here's what I think James is saying. That when we come to God and we're asking Him for wisdom, one, we have to trust Him, right? That he's trustworthy, that he's not going to ultimately lead us astray. But number two, we've also got to trust his guidance. We've got to trust what he tells us, what he gives us as it relates to wisdom. We can't doubt him. We can't doubt his character. We can't doubt his word. But at the same time, we have to apply it and we have to follow ultimately where he leads us. Here's where it gets a little dicey because for a lot of us, sometimes the guidance God gives us and the wisdom that he gives us doesn't really match up with our emotions. We wanted that car that had 200,000 miles on it for $20,000, right? Because it was our favorite color or it was a Camaro or whatever it may be. And our, our heart told us, don't do it, don't do it. Wisdom said, don't do it. Prize me, cherish me, exalt me, and I'll take care of you. Wisdom said, don't buy it. But our emotions overrode outweighed wisdom and we followed that path and then we suffered and we looked back one day and said what was I thinking why didn't I use wisdom so there is a qualifier when we come to God and we ask him for wisdom he says I'm going to give it but it's not a magic pellet right it's not a magic bean we still have to trust him and we still have to trust his guidance enough to actually follow him precisely where he leads There's a second principle that we've covered here, that when we ask him for wisdom, we have to trust him and we have to trust his guidance. Let's move on in the book of James here. Let's look at verse 7 and verse 8 as we begin to make our way out of this passage. It says in verse 7 and verse 8, James says, For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This was the part that confused me a bit because in verse 5, it seems like God says, and he does say, hey, come to me and ask, and I'll give it to you generously without reproach. Just ask me, and it's yours. Ask for wisdom, and it's yours. But then it sounds like now he's saying, well, I'm not going to give you anything if you're doubting. If we're not careful, we can get into mind games with ourselves. You know, did I, do I trust enough? I'm praying for this now. And, Do I really trust enough? Do I really believe God? You know, and we can sort of overthink it. But again, I I think if we live out verse 7 and verse 8, if we find that we're not getting the wisdom that we needed, it's not because God didn't give it the way we asked. It's because we didn't trust Him. 
and we didn't trust his guidance or we trusted something else or wanted something else more and we didn't put it into practice. And what happens with that is there's a result, right? James says we become double-minded, we become unstable, we lack maturity, we lack certainty. We find ourselves struggling in our walk because we're chasing our path and our way rather than utilizing the wisdom that God wants to give us. So remember here, the context in James 1 is trials. If you're in the midst of a trial today, I think all of us are in the same one, at least, as we deal with this virus. But if you're in a different kind of a trial, maybe it's a crisis in your, in your family, or maybe it's something going on in your workplace, or maybe you're at a place in life where you just feel stuck. You're not quite sure which direction to go. God says, just bring it to me. Ask me for wisdom. And if you have a relationship with him, and if you trust him and you trust his guidance, he's going to give you. And you're going to put into practice everything you need through the wisdom that he offers you. But there's a starting point, right? Look at what it says here in Proverbs chapter 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See, if we don't fear, meaning if we don't respect God, if we don't hold Him as the highest priority in our lives, the highest of all of our pursuits, the very center of everything that we are, if He doesn't occupy that space, then we're not going to ultimately supremely care about what He tells us. So if we're going to utilize wisdom and if we're going to obtain it and if we're going to ultimately walk in it, it starts by fearing the Lord Himself. You know, I heard, I heard someone say in a message series a couple of years or so ago, a simple way to just make every decision easier. You know, say, for example, you have already read Scripture, you've sought the Lord in His Word, you've sought the Lord in prayer, you've sought godly counsel, and you're in the midst of that decision and you don't know which way to go. You've asked God for wisdom you know, there's a simple question that you can ask yourself that will really cut through the clutter. It'll cut through the rationalizations that sometimes we're so good at talking ourselves into what we want. It'll cut through the emotion of some hard decisions that we have to make. And that question is this. Ask yourself, what would a wise person do? And the next time you're at that place, do we do we put the kids in this school or that school? Do I leave this job to take that opportunity? Do we sell the house now or do we wait? And all the other decisions, the other 34,996 that go along with it, right? And you're at that place where it doesn't seem like the Bible gives clarity. You're still wavering between the two. You honestly are willing to do whatever God wants. Sometimes when you just ask yourself this question, what would a wise person do? It takes you and your emotion out of the picture. And sometimes that decision becomes crystal clear. So what decision do you face today? What trial is it that you find yourself in the midst of and you're trying to figure out exactly how to navigate the hard choices that come with it? Hey, James makes an incredible offer to you. He says, if you just come to God and ask him, <laughs> he'll give you what you need. He'll give you that wisdom. He'll give it generously and he'll give it without reproach. But you've got to fear him. And you've got to trust him. And you've got to trust his guidance more than your emotions and above your desires. 
Beyond your intellect, you've got to trust him. And you've got to follow. And if you do, he's going to take care of you. But if you don't, you just may find yourself at that place looking back saying, what was I thinking? And in reality, you'll be saying, why didn't I just use wisdom? You know, the wisest decision that you and I can ever make and the most important decision we'll ever make is what we're ultimately going to do with the person of Jesus Christ. You know, for every single one of us, we've sinned, and the Bible tells us as our map that that sin has broken our relationship with God. But the good news is that in the midst of all of the fallenness of this world, in the midst of all the baggage that sometimes gets collected through the poor choices of life, that God offers a fresh start, and He offers a new heart, and He offers forgiveness, and He offers grace. And it doesn't come because we start making better decisions or because we join a church or because we live better. It comes when we come to the place where we lay down our sin and we admit it to Jesus and invite Christ, God himself who died and rose for us to come in and forgive and we invite him to take over. That's the wisest decision you'll ever make and it's the only decision you'll ever make that'll last forever. If you've never made that decision, man, my, my highest encouragement to you is to make it right where you sit today, right on that couch, right in that vehicle, wherever you are. Make that decision. Admit your sin to Jesus. Invite him to forgive and to take over. And then begin to walk a walk that honors him, to walk a walk of wisdom. Hey, I want to pray for you. And as soon as I pray, we're going to close out with one more song. And so let's pray together right where you sit. Let's bow our heads and close, close our eyes. God, we thank you today for the incredible offer of wisdom that you give to us. Lord, we know that if we've never come to a place where we've yielded our lives to Christ to start with, we probably don't want any part of your, of your perspective or your guidance or your wisdom. But Lord, for those that have come to Jesus, Lord, it is the, one of the most amazing offers that we can ever receive. The offer to help us to know how to use the knowledge that you've given in a way that applies to every situation. And Lord, so many of those circumstances, your word speaks clearly too. But there are some decisions we make, we can't find a Bible verse to give us the exact answer. It's not going to tell us the details of the hard decisions sometimes that we make, but it's your spirit and it's the wisdom that he gives that helps us to make those right decisions so that we can stay in your will and enjoy you and your plan for our lives. And so God, help us to ask for it. Help us to ask for it when we're in the midst of hardship Help us to ask for it in the midst of every circumstance. And when you give it, and in our heart of hearts, when we strip away our emotion and our personal desires, and we know, God, if we had to bank everything we own on it, when we know in our heart this is the wise decision, Lord, give us the courage to make it and to walk in that peace and assurance that comes when we follow your way for us. Thank you for those who may have given their lives to Jesus today for the first time laying down their sin, inviting him to forgive and take over. Help them to also grow and to walk in wisdom as well. And may you get glory through the lives we live and the decisions we make. In Jesus' name, amen.